0: But the typical run-of-the-mill center like you and me, well, like me, could feel very comfortable with him because his nature was so incredibly grace-filled and loving and accepting a person where they're starting. Now, does that mean that he doesn't have an idea of what right and wrong is? Or does he have a belief of how things ideally would be? Listen to the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> not only are you not supposed to have an affair, but you're not even supposed to think that. You're not even supposed to look at a member of the opposite sex. And you know what people have done? This is great. People have messed up. If it weren't for people, Christianity would be perfect. It's the people that screw it up. Truly. That's the obstacle for most of us. It's the people. What he was saying in the Sermon on the Mount was not, here is even a higher bar to try to reach. But he was saying, quit trying to reach it. It's impossible. And instead, allow yourself to rest in my love as the Spirit transforms you from glory to glory to glory. Let my love draw you. Keep your eyes on me, not as an ego trip, but he didn't say, "Don't sin, don't sin, don't sin." Okay, don't. Uh, I'm three. Don't. So, come on. Don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. What happens when you're doing that? Yeah, you keep thinking about sin. You know, if you want to create an obsession, try not to think about it. That's how you create obsessions. Instead, he said, "Keep your eyes on me. Feel my love." that I have for you. As you are at this moment in transit, I have absolute faith in your capacity to be becoming. But I will not love you more as you're becoming, because I already love you perfectly. And you're already sitting up in heaven with me. You've already won. Can you even begin to comprehend that? Those that have been willing to accept that free gift didn't earn it, aren't any better than those that don't choose it, sometimes worse than those that don't accept it. But he loves those that accept it. He loves those that don't accept it. He died for all of us. Some of us are willing to accept it. I call it smart. What happens if there really isn't? What happens if this is all a big joke? What if there really isn't a God? What if the Bible isn't true? As a psychologist, I would still find the model a perfect model for change. So at the worst case, I get good, quality, healthy recovery. Best case, I I get good, healthy recovery and salvation. Heads I win, tails I win, looks to me. But we get all these questions to be stumbling blocks. Was it really seven days, hmm? What's this virgin birth business, hmm? You know, don't sweat, don't sweat the details. There's a lot of things that I don't understand. Now, you guys may already understand it all, right? You got it all nailed down. Got I don't understand a lot of stuff. You know something? I do believe one thing. It will all make perfect sense at some point in time. And until then, I'm going to keep my eyes on him and keep blowing it as I become more like him. I keep blowing it, and I keep becoming more like him. And both are true. And it's true for all of us. Truth about our self-image is extremely important. From Ephesians 4, 14 to 15, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. When you start nitpicking, you become vulnerable. When you start debating the little stuff, you become vulnerable. Why do you think it is that Paul would say, the most learned man of the day, all I know is Christ and him crucified? Because that's the whole Megillah right there. That's the whole, that is Christianity right there in one nugget. Everything else hinges on that. Either he's a fanatic and a crazy man, or he was who he said he is. I believe he is who he said he is. And it's really helped transform my life, and I still blow it right and left. 1 Corinthians 2.12 uh, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Not only does he give it to us, but he gives us a means to be able to comprehend it. This is a full-service God. We don't earn it. He gives it to us, not because we deserve it, but because of his nature. And then he gives us a built-in mechanism to be able to comprehend and utilize that gift to boot. That's pretty cool as far as I'm concerned. What a perfectly loving father that is. From 2 Timothy 1.7. For the the Holy Spirit, God's gift, does not want you to be afraid of people, but to be wise and strong and to love them and to enjoy being with them. How often do you see prissy, prissy Christians say, well, I just don't want to be around that kind. I don't want to go to one of those meetings, because those meetings, sometimes people talk in words that hurt my ears. They say things that are not okay. (laughs) <laughs> one, one, one question. What do you think they were talking about when they were tax collectors and prostitutes around Jesus? When they suddenly cleaned up their act? No. They felt comfortable being themselves. I'm sure the language was not what he would like it to be. And as they got to know him, I'm sure the language was not as it was becoming more Edifying. But he didn't demand them to change to come to him. He welcomed them to come to him as is. As is. Come as you are, party. We don't have to be afraid. The Holy Spirit is not a spirit of fear, but of sonship, of relationship. When we get afraid, whether it's a fear of new age or fear of Fear, I don't know. Whatever the fear is, it blocks the Holy Spirit's ability to be the resource that God wants us to have. Ephesians 5, uh, 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Think about that. He wants us to be imitators as children of a very loving, nurturing father. He wants us to be able to give of ourselves to each other the way his son gave to us. Jesus was not a doormat. No one took anything from him. He gave it freely. He is not a wimp. He was a carpenter before they had power tools. He had strength and I feel those strong hands on my shoulder when I need it the most, like right now. I feel that strong arm around me whenever I need it. I never ever ever have to do it alone. But I get to be like him. And that is so cool. Growing up, I desperately wanted to be anything but me. I wanted to find somebody that would be willing to let me hang around so I could feel like maybe they liked me. Because I hated myself. Maybe I had better taste back then, I don't know. But I like me now. No, this is not a democracy to vote, okay? But we need to have our identity in our Christianity. It is so sad to see Christianity in the parking lot. Cutting each other off to get your parking spot because you don't want to be late for church. Isn't that what Jesus would do? You know? Of course, it was easier than he had donkeys. right? Remember the model. To me, Jesus is a lot like my, my good friend Tandy, counselor that shares uh, office with Sonia. We went, as part of my recovery, I'm continually doing things. We skied out of state for the first time ever uh, last month, telluride to die for. And the story's coming up, you'll see it was close. So I decided, while well, I was at Telluride, that I would do a diamond. Now, a diamond at Telluride is like a diamond at Squaw. Very steep. I'm an intermediate skier. I was dumb enough to start skiing at about 45, 46 years of age. Not a real smart thing to do. But here's Tandy, and she's right in front of me, and she carves out a path. I follow the path, rest, I, you know, it's very high elevation, and I'm not I'm a couch potato. I'm not, I'm not buffed. Mentally, I'm buffed. Physically, I pant a lot, okay? And so I'd have to wait. And I'd take another little bit. I made it down that diamond. I was so excited. I followed her through many different runs that were much easier. And it was so nice to have somebody who knew what they were doing leading the way. And all I did was copied her. She said, put your, you know, I had some parabolics. and I, Just put your, put your weight like this, put your knees like this, and I just did what Tandy said, because I had the freedom to do what I wanted to do, even though she was telling me to do it. Remember? From before? Think about that. And when we first started learning to ski, Gloria, a good friend, we, we were her ducks. Sonia and I were her ducks. Gloria would go, and then her little ducks would follow. you know, And she'd stay on real easy slopes, And it made it look so much easier because we had someone that knew what they were doing, that was absolutely nurturing and loving, had absolute faith in our capacity to achieve this task and would love us whether we fell or not. I almost wiped her young daughter out at one point, and she still loved us. It's nice to have somebody to lead the way. That's what God did by giving us Jesus. Again, take a deep breath. Look at areas of your life. Are there areas of your life that you would like to have someone lead the way that would have absolute faith and loving, respect and caring for you even as you run over their kid? Or do you have it so together that you don't need, don't need no coach? Don't need no model, I'm fine as I am, right? There is nothing wrong with being screwed up. There's something very right about feeling good about noticing that you're screwed up and turning around and going a different direction. The truth about our perceptual filters, another very important point. In the handbook, it defines our perceptions are filtered through our beliefs and assumptions, our internal dialogue, thoughts, and images, our physical and behavioral uh, responses, and our emotions. All of these interact to form a filter through which we experience the world. We do not experience the world directly. We do, in fact, filter them somewhat like these glasses. Without these glasses, I don't have the filter. And even with size 16 font, it's blurry. OK? The difference between this talk and God's grace and the freedom to obey is I could read size 14 font without glasses. Now I can't read size 16 font without glasses. Time moves on. Progress. Put the glasses on. I can see. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 to 13. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity or love. Charity and love are are interchangeable. One of the most confusing things, I think, for many Christians is how can I have accepted the Lord, I love the Lord, and yet I still have all these wounded stuff inside. The Holy Spirit will not go where it's not invited. And you cannot invite the Spirit where you don't own. When there are wounded parts of self, like different parts of Jimmy, four-year-old Jimmy, six-year-old Jimmy, ten-year-old Jimmy, I was scattered all over the map, growing up. Those wounded parts of me are now happy. They're happy. Because I have reached out to them, the Spirit through me has reached out to them, and they've continued to grow and learn and to feel much better about themselves. The kids inside of me are very confident that I will love them no matter what. Because I'm that confident that my big brother Jesus is going to love me no matter what. And I pass it on to them. That kind of trust allows growth for the wounded parts of ourselves. There is no shame in Christ. There is no condemnation. In Christ, There is the freedom to be becoming. There is the freedom to see accurately that you blow it and turn around, ask forgiveness, change directions, and move forward. It's no-fault learning at its best. Absolutely at its best. Galatians 4, 6, 7. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, And the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. That is so cool, if you really let that sink in. God has adopted us. One of my dear friends was terribly wounded by being told she's going to be adopted and then not getting adopted. Traumatic. But she's been adopted by the coolest dad in the block, the coolest dad in the universe, God. She has been adopted. I've been adopted. That's who I am now. And he's my dad. And Jesus is my big brother. Now that may seem irreverent, but it's not. It is the most reverent. Because only in that kind of intimacy, that kind of transparency, can the transformation from glory to glory to glory really take place. You can't transform while wearing masks. Masks kill the law demands masks. The law demands judging, condemning. The spirit gives life. So when someone says in terms of your perceptions, who are you? I'm a king's kid. Are you a king's kid? Have you ever thought of yourself as a king's kid? Not because of anything you've done other than accepting the free gift. You know, one of the problems in the battle between New Age and, 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 and conservative fundamentalism is that the New Age folks have a tendency to feel that man is God and that therefore you've already arrived just being a man. And many of the, of the fundamental, uh, conservative fundamental, feel like you're supposed to see yourself as a wretched worm um, and hate yourself for God's sake. I never really figured that out. Now, it is true that in our old nature, that which was crucified with the Lord, that died with the Lord, our old nature that died with the Lord, is no longer seen by God. Christ covered that. His blood covered that. Okay? But God adopted us. He chose us. He picked me for the team. Do you know I would have killed someone for that in elementary school? I would have sold my soul for that in junior high. And I didn't even have to buy it. It was free. I am a king's kid. That's not a comment on me. It's a comment on my brother, who adopted me. It's a comment on my father, who adopted me but because of who they are, I'm a king's kid. And no one, no one will ever convince me otherwise. Not that I'm stubborn. John 15, 15. Jesus said, this, when I got this one, it, I just started to cry. And I may again. I no, I no longer, this is Jesus speaking in John, I no longer call you servants, because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. My gosh, can you get your brains around that? The most amazingly perfect person that ever lived calls me friend. God calls me son. Jesus calls me brother and friend. Now, I can understand that because my brother, behind the camera, is not only my brother, but he's my friend. He's my friend, too. Same with my sister. She's older, but it couldn't be helped. But I told her I wouldn't mention that. Jesse and Nathan, they're my sons, but they're my friends. I'm a dad first. I don't confuse the two. But I like them as people. That's the relationship God has with us. That's the relationship Christ has with us. Romans 7, 18 to 20. I know that, now this is going to be a stumbling block, so get ready. I know that nothing good lives in me that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing." I love Paul. He writes like I do. (laughs) Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now. For a long time, I thought this was a cop-out, but it's not. It's a truth about identity. When I'm dealing with a non-Christian, I will talk to them about the difference between old program and new program. And even when they're in the middle of doing old program things, I keep reminding them that's not who they are. That's what they're doing. But who they are is becoming a new program. As a Christian, I would say it in a slightly different way, but it's the same truth. And the truth is, who I am is becoming. And my recovery is the process of experiencing the adventure of my becoming like Jesus. It's an adventure. It's not an endurance test. It's not a test at all. If you approach your spirituality as a test, you're going to go back to the okayness trap that we talked about earlier. You're going to white-knuckle it and try to be good enough, as we all do for tests. And most of us tend to feel very anxious, and on tests we don't usually do as well as we do if we're just sitting around. I took an IQ test my junior year of college. I took the top off it. I was sitting at a kitchen table having a... having a beer. Feet up, relaxed, as I took the test. I wasn't anxious. Had I taken it as a test, I know the performance would have been much less. God knows that too. He wants it to be an adventure. He wants it to be a relationship. But when we're screwing up, that's not who we are. It's what we're doing. Who we are is in Christ. Who we are is our becoming in his nature. Ephesians 4, to 24 You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true, in true righteousness and holiness. That's not a mask. It's not a mask. It's an identity. Hear the difference. This is so confusing for so many people. It says, well, put on the new nature. Well, okay. I'm fine. Hi, my name's Jim, and I'm a Christian. And you're not, so I don't like you very well. And, and I, I, you're going to go to hell. Uh, and, and I'm so sorry about that. But, you know, <laughs> we win and you lose. That's sick stuff. That is really, really sick stuff. God wants all of us to make it. He doesn't say, those on this side, you're okay. You guys, eh." and in the back, hey, you're gone. He wants all of us to be adopted. He wants all of us to be friends with him. And in so doing, to be friends with each other. To realize that by giving to others, There's more room for him to give to me. The importance of giving is extremely important. Understand your perceptions and those things that filter it. About the economy of giving, extremely important. Matthew 10, 39. And I really appreciate your endurance. I'll be over in probably another three hours. <laughs> joke, joke. <laughs> We're getting down toward the end here, honest, promise. Matthew 10, 39. Jesus said, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When we understand that, what does it mean to be Jim Henman? This is such a confusing thing. You know, there's this whole thing about self-esteem. I esteem my becoming. That's what I esteem, is my becoming, like him. That's my self-esteem. I am becoming more and more and more truly Jim Henman as I become more like him. Because my becoming more like him is not the same as Ed's being more like him or Sonia's being more like him. Each of us is unique. Each of us is our own unique configuration of his nature as we're becoming like him. I think one of the saddest things in the world is this cookie-cutter notion that all Christians are supposed to look alike, talk alike, think alike. Boring! Yuck! That's not a good concept. Besides it's not biblical, you know if that wasn't bad enough, because the body is made up of many different parts. A hand is not an eye, is not a kneecap. It's time to realize you don't have to apologize for being yourself becoming in his nature. He made you that way, and by being real, instead of being a stumbling block, what you can be is someone that a non-Christian sees and goes, "Oh, you mean." You're not perfect? (laughs) I'm perfect, but but I'm talking about the rest of you. And and when they see that imperfection and yet realize, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm not perfect. I'm just saved. And I love my big brother, and I love you whether you love my big brother or not. Because he loves you whether you accept him or not. And he died for you whether you accept him or not. We gain our sense of self when we lose our old nature and begin to take on our Christ nature fully formed at the time we accept him. It's fully formed, but it's a little hard to get to. Okay, that's the problem. The Christ nature is fully formed when we accept the Lord. But getting it, getting access to it, getting a reliable access to it is much more tricky, much more difficult. And it's something we will never be able to do perfectly. So what? I was having a humbling experience recently, where my son Jesse was pointing out, Dad, why do you blow up? Now, you guys probably don't believe this because I'm perfect. Why do you lose it and kind of melt meltdown? And so Jesse and Sonya were tag teaming and kind of pointing out that it might be good to, to look at that. And I said, Jesse, you know, to be honest with you, you know, I I kinda like the fact that I can let my hair some let my hair down what little bit there is. And, and 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 be human, you know. I have no desire to be perfect. I have no desire to be perfect. I don't like being around perfect people. Do you? Yeah, you tend to feel like, I better watch what I say. You know, you want to really screw up a party? Tell them you're a psychologist. <laughs> you know? I think I'm going to change my, I'm going to be a proctologist next time in my next <laughs> life. No one will talk to you then. From Romans 15:13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God gives us such abundance. However, in any container, let's let's look at this container, and it's this big, and we fill it up, put a lid on it. Now, how can God add any more to that if it's full? There's a lot of people going around with full containers, stagnating, stagnating, getting stale. You want more? Pour it out. Pour it out to those around you freely because the economy of giving makes all the difference in the world to understanding God's message. Let's say this book, this book has an intrinsic value of $10. Let's just say that. Good it does. What a coincidence, right? If I give this gift to Pat, because I should. Obligation, duty, whatever. This book costs me $20. When I give it to Pat, she receives a $1 gift. I paid 20 bucks for it. What she receives is a $1 gift. Why? Because the attitude, the nature of the giving affects the value of the gift when I'm giving it begrudgingly under my own steam, I pay double. You know, you hate to pay retail, right? This isn't paying retail, this is paying double. Doesn't that just kill you for those of you that love sales? You know, like a bargain? Let me tell you a bargain. When you give freely through the Spirit, just because the Spirit leads you to do it and you say, okie-dokie, fine. Cool, I'll do it. This $10 book comes with a $20 rebate. Pay 10, get 20. I end up with $10 in my pocket. I give Pat the same book. She receives a $50 gift. I come out with $10 in my pocket. Pat comes out with a lavish gift. You can tell this is before inflation. $50 book. She prizes it because it's such a precious book. $50 book. That's an expensive book. I come out ahead. She comes out ahead. Everyone wins. When God talks about it's more blessed to give than receive, he's not talking about sphinctered giving out of obligation. He's talking about giving freely so that the Holy Spirit, through us, can bless us in our giving to others. The economy of giving is what makes the Lord's plan make sense. As I grow in the Lord and Heidi wants my shirt and I give her my tie, too, it's not because I can't say no. But there's a lot of things that, as I grow, are less important to me. What is important is helping Heidi be able to understand that she's precious enough to me, that if she really needs this, I'll be happy to give it to her. That's not sacrificing, hmm? Like the church lady on Saturday Night Live, hmm? Isn't that just special? Isn't that just swell? I am so good and you are so bad. But I'll give it to you anyway. That's what gives Christianity black eye. The people. The religion. Not the Bible. Not Christ. Not God. It's what we have done to it. Just like... Eve added to God's words back in the garden. Yeah, if you touch it, you die. The serpent able to twist words around. Oh, you won't surely die. And besides that, God wants you to eat any, any tree in the, in the garden, right? We 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 confuse ourselves. The giving that I'm talking about, the giving that God's talking about, is the freely given permission to touch lives. When I was 17, yes, I was 17 at one time, I was a freshman at JC. And I wrote a paper for an English course. And the title of the the paper was called A Monument to Existence. This is at 17. I was much smarter then. You know your IQ drops as you get older. (laughs) You're smartest when you're about 12. Kind of downhill from that point on. The, the gist of that story was the following. If, in being born, I touch one life, and in the process of touching that life, that life is improved, I have justified my existence. For each life I touch beyond that is a monument to my existence. This is, I wasn't a Christian at that time, in, in the sense of having a personal relationship with the Lord at that time. But those words are true. Not that I do it for the monument. The monument is a byproduct. Do You understand the difference. Those that are trying to build their monument, it's on sand. But when you're doing it because that's how you want to be becoming and you're allowing that transformation with got it got it ain't got it Abbott and Costello that's recovery that's Christianity we don't do it as one straight line we go forward we go back we go forward we go back got it ain't got it that's normal God knows that look at every big player in the Old Testament and the New Testament Every single one of them had incredible flaws, incredible flaws, big flaws, bigger than some of mine, bigger than most of mine, bigger than most of yours, and still God chose them and used them in their fallibility, in their imperfection for his purposes. That's what we're free to do. But we need to let ourselves do it freely, to have the freedom to want healthiness enough to be willing to read the owner's manual. Do you realize the Bible is an owner's owner's manual? There is such amazing wisdom in that book. It just blows your socks off. I had to whittle down to come up with what I came up with. There was three times that amount that I wanted to have in it, and you'd kill me. You know, you can only stand, sit, standing, stand sitting so long before you rebel. And I push the envelope. I know I do. But the freedom to take that wisdom and apply it to your life, as is, right where you're starting. Take off the mask. And you can't even do that perfectly. In the Caring Grace, you see people taking their mask off a meeting at a time. Sometimes they come in with the mask on, sometimes they come on with the mask off. Sometimes they they truly have it together. Sometimes they crawl in on their knees and hands because they can't walk. The same with care self-help groups. It's a come-as-you-are party. It's a safe place to be becoming. That's what God wants for all of us. I want you to take a deep breath and just allow yourself to really think about your life today, not your partner's, not anybody else's, but your own. And as you're thinking about that, I want you to ask yourself, do you like what you see? Do you like where you're starting? Do you feel a sense of confidence a sense of peace, a sense of serenity in your day-to-day life. If you do, cool. If you don't, feel good about noticing that. Feel good about noticing that. because what we, I, And I say this usually more than one time in most sessions. Feel good about noticing. Why? Because normally we condemn what we don't like. We notice something, we don't like it, we condemn it. That way we keep stuck in it. We get the ruts deeper and deeper and deeper. When we feel good about noticing the things we don't like, it's like a landscraper that scrapes off the ruts and you can drive more safely without getting caught up in the ruts as bad. Feel good about noticing right where you're starting. Celebrate that you're feeling good about it and realize who you truly are. Notice your identity, notice your perceptions, and notice how you give. Do you give freely, or do you give begrudgingly because it's what you should do, and then resent it and take it back? I really appreciate you guys coming out I appreciate you pushing the envelope of tolerance. Thank you. There's literature out there. I would really encourage you to, uh, to pick it up. There's going to be a thing this Saturday night, like I mentioned, uh, for people interested in Christian recovery in different areas. A fire on that. Even if you've never been to care, you want to go to the care birthday party, you're welcome. Because there's no second-class citizens in care. It's only first class. Okay? Thank you very much. And that concludes The Truth Can Set You Free. Thank you.